If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as we resume our series, Avoiding the Trap of Do-It-Yourself Spirituality, we've taken a significant break from. To uh, get us started this morning, what do you say we have a little Bible quiz? That's a great idea, Pastor Scott. All right, so <clears throat> I'm going to put some just some quotations, Bible quotations up, and then your job is to fill in the missing word. Okay, so here we go. Here's number one. The Lord is my blank. Well, no, wait. Sorry. <laughs> Let me say the whole thing first. You guys are eager, but that's good. But back off a minute here. The Lord is my blank. I shall not want. The missing word is? There you go. Good. Number two. For God so blank the world that he gave his only son, missing word is? Third, in the beginning, God created the blank and the earth. Missing word is heavens. One more. Blank not that you be not judged. The missing word is? It's really interesting how well known that last one is. Even people who really don't care about the Bible, seem to know that Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. What isn't nearly as well known is that there's another quote from Jesus, not nearly as popular. Uh, John seven twenty four. Jesus said, judge with right judgment. Isn't that interesting? The first quote is a command not to judge. The second quote is a command to judge, or at least judge in a certain way. Hmm. If Jesus said both of those things, what does he want us to do? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> because that's the issue we come to uh, when... We, as we uh, continue our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians. Judging is an issue uh, that seems to be one that, that a lot of people get confused about. They know, they know that Jesus said, judge not. And they often assume that's all he ever said on the subject. Um, and so they, they figure that anytime anyone engages in any kind of judging, well, then they're disregarding Jesus and they're disobeying him. You yourself might think that. Well, there's a problem with that, and here it is. <laughs> it's actually impossible to obey Jesus and not engage in some kind of judging. In fact, I'll go so far as to say you can't even live without doing some judging. The command, judge not, is massively important. But it's not a bumper sticker. And when we treat it like that, and we isolate that from the rest of what Jesus and the rest of the scriptures say on that topic, um, well, when we do that, we get it wrong. And there's an irony in that, 
because usually when someone says judge not, what they're trying to do is protect someone from getting hurt, which is a good goal. But if we misapply, if we misunderstand and misuse what Jesus said, we end up hurting people that we actually want to help. So my goal in this message is to help us see the bigger picture on judging so that we can fully obey Jesus and we can genuinely love people. So we're going to start by looking at our passage in 1 Corinthians, which is what brings the subject up, as you'll see. Apparently, the church in Corinth, the Christians in the town of Corinth, to whom Paul wrote this as a letter, they were, they've been judging the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and he has something to say about that. So uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's on the note sheet in your folder. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And by mysteries of God there, he's really talking about the truths of the gospel, which were previously not revealed, but now revealed. And Paul is a messenger of that message and calls himself a steward, someone who's been given a trust. Moreover, it is required of stewards like me that they be found trustworthy, faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you, Corinthians, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment, or more simply, do not judge, before the time before the Lord Jesus comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Jesus alone knows our motives. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos. Apollos is a, another preacher of the gospel. For your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. So the Corinthians were judging Paul, and he's telling them to knock it off. Uh, he says, look, guys, judging, judging me is not your job. It's not your job. Jesus is going to take care of that uh, when he comes, so, so you can just back off. I don't even judge myself, he says. So whatever Paul means by judging here, he's saying that neither he nor the Corinthians have any business doing it. It's the Lord's business to judge his servants, and he will do that when he returns and we all stand before him. And you'll notice this fits perfectly with that statement from Jesus, judge not, right? Judging is his job. It's not our job. So don't do his job. Okay. So far, so good. 
And if that's all we had on the topic, this would be a very short message. Judge not. Don't judge, period, ever. End of, end of story. Well, but that's not all we have. I already pointed out that other quote from Jesus where he tells us to judge with right judgment. Now I want you to look at something else Paul says in the very next chapter. Okay, we're in chapter 4. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. He says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on, or more simply, I have already judged the one who did such a thing. And we're not going to get into the details of what he's talking about here, but just notice he says, I've judged this person. Verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church, within the community of believers, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? So the same Paul, who in chapter 4 says that we're not to judge, in chapter 5, tells the Corinthians that they are to judge. It gets even more interesting in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, Do you not know that we, that is, we believers in Jesus, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? You see the logic there? We're going to judge angels, so we should certainly be judging the things of this life. Verse 5, I say this to shame you. Is it possible... That there's nobody among you wise enough. Oh, man, that had to sting because they thought they were so wise. There's nobody among you wise enough to do what? To judge a dispute between believers. See what he's saying? Chapter 4, he's upset with them for judging. In chapter 6, he's upset with them for not judging. There's more. Now, from what Paul said in chapter 4, the words we just read, about leaders like himself being servants of the Lord, whom only the Lord will judge or can judge, you might think from that that he is saying that any evaluating of leaders is off limits. Don't do that. But that can't be what he means, because elsewhere... Paul lists qualifications for leaders in the church, for elders of church. And why does he give us the list of qualifications? So that we can evaluate to see if people meet those qualifications. In other words, if churches are going to have the kind of leaders that Jesus wants them to have, then church members are going to have to judge them. So, judge not, or judge, which is it? How do we make sense of all this? Well, I've actually made it sound more difficult than it actually is. It's, it's really not that hard. We just need to understand something important. The word judge means different things in different contexts just like our English word, judge. So, a few examples. To judge can mean to discern. It can mean to appraise. It can mean to critique, to decide, 
to determine, to pass sentence on, and even to condemn. Now, some of those judgments are wrong, and we must avoid them. But other kinds of judgment are actually good and even necessary. And you know, actually, you already know this. You really do. You can go around all day long saying, judge not, judge not. And you can scold people for being so judgmental. (laughs) But if, for example, you're considering a child care provider for your children, you're going to judge them. In fact, you better. Because you need to know if you can trust them. And so you're going to evaluate them according to certain standards, whether or not they meet those standards. That's a form of judging. Or let's say you have a teenager. Someone always laughs when I say that. I don't, <laughs> why is that? You have a teenager, and, they, and they're getting to that age where they're going to start dating, okay? And here's the question. Do you want them to go on a date with absolutely anybody who asks no matter what? Or would you prefer that they exercise a little good judgment? Exactly. The point is, not all judging is the same. And not all judging is wrong. Some of it is actually right. Now, some of it is wrong. And I'd guess... Just a wild guess here. I'm going to guess that most of us probably have some repenting to do on this issue. When Jesus said, judge not, he wasn't kidding. It's not a suggestion. The question is, what did he mean? Well, in that context, what he is talking about is having a proud, condemning attitude toward people. In fact, probably a better way to translate it in that context is condemn not that you be not condemned. He's talking about having this attitude of of looking down on people and, and deciding that they're unworthy of your love and concern. It's what Romans 14.10 is talking about. You then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? Have you ever done that? I have, and Jesus hates it. He hates it when we play God and decide who is worthy of love and who isn't. We need to repent of that. On the other hand, we also need to repent when Jesus wants us to judge and we refuse. In Luke 17, 3, Jesus says, If your brother sins, rebuke him. Well, determining that they're sinning is a form of judgment. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. That's the kind of judging we're supposed to do. You go to Matthew 18, and Jesus gives us a whole procedure for what we're to do as fellow believers in Christ when one professing believer in Christ is in a pattern of persistent rebellion. 
disobeying him and refuses, even after multiple confrontations, refuses to repent. And Jesus tells us what we're supposed to do there. And most of us, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that ever. So the big question is, how do you know? How do you know when to judge and when not to? How do you know how to judge? And so that you and I only, only do the right kind of judging and never ever the wrong kind. So what I want to do is give you three questions to help you basically answer that. Three questions for judging your judging. Three questions for judging your judging. Question number one, what's your authority? What's your authority? In other words, what gives you the right to evaluate somebody else? That's a good question. It's an important question, and it's the question somebody's going to be thinking when you evaluate them if, you, if they haven't invited you to. Because nobody likes to be evaluated. But whether we like it or not isn't the issue. The issue is that our authority to do that has limits. All human authority has limits. Not all human authority acknowledges those limits, but it all does. Our authority is never absolute like Jesus' authority. Okay, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. How much is that? <laughs> That's all. See that word? All authority in heaven and earth? He has unlimited authority. Unlimited authority. So he can judge us anytime he wants, any way he wants, because he has ultimate authority. It's absolute. He, if he tells us to do something, we're to do it. If he tells us not to do something, we're not to do it. End of story. Absolute authority. All right, but look at the very next verse. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you, my followers, go and make disciples of all nations. What's he doing? He is delegating to his followers the right and the responsibility to make disciples, to make other people followers of him. We don't do that in our own name. We do it in his. In fact, Jesus says that. We're to baptize disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do we do it that way? Because we're acting with his authority. He has delegated it to us. Therefore, we have the right and the responsibility to do it. Well, it turns out that the same thing is true with certain kinds of judging. So, Matthew 18, 18. This is so interesting. Okay, so Jesus here in Matthew 18, here's the context. He's just been telling his followers what they need to do when one of them 
A professing believer is engaged in persistent, unrepentant sin. He tells them what to do about that. And then he follows with this, verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now that's an amazing statement. What is it? It's Jesus delegating his authority to believers to do a certain kind of judging with other believers. The judging he's just been talking about there in Matthew 18. And we're going to see an example of this next time here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, so what's the point? The point is, the next time you're thinking about evaluating somebody, stop and ask yourself if you really have the right and the responsibility to do that. Has Jesus delegated that authority to you? So how would I know? Yet another reason we need to really know our Bibles. Because see, Jesus has delegated authority to judge both to human governments and to his people, his church. And we need to know where the boundaries are because there are always boundaries when it comes to judging. One of the thoughts that struck me as I was working on this is that judging is a very serious thing. And we can take it way too casually. We can so easily judge people without giving it a thought. Well, the point is, give it a thought. What's your authority? Second question to ask, what's your motive? What's your motive? Because why we do what we do really matters. It's kind of surprising how much it matters. It matters a lot. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 13.3. Paul says this. This is astonishing to me. If I give all I possess to the poor, absolutely all of my possessions, I give it all away to the poor and surrender my body to the flames... Supreme act of self-sacrifice. And have not love, I gain nothing. Look at that. I mean, look at that generosity. Give all I possess to the poor. Surely God is going to be pleased with that, right? Not necessarily. Not if your motive isn't right. Without the right motive, even extreme generosity has no value in God's eyes. And what's the right motive? Well, he tells us. What is it? It's love. Love for God. Love for people. Jesus called those the first and second greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
do unto others as you would have them do to you. What does love have to do with judging? That's exactly the point. That's exactly the question. Okay, so what is love? Love is acting in someone else's best interests. Love is acting towards someone the way you would want them to act toward you in your best interest. So it's acting with someone else's best interest at heart. Well, can judging someone ever be in their best interests? Yes, it can be. It can be if it's the right kind of judging and if the goal is to bring about God's best in their life. If that's our goal. <laughs> now, this is obviously very different from the kind of judging that comes so easily to us, you know, where we're just criticizing somebody because we're upset with them. They've made us mad or whatever, hurt our feelings, and we're just emoting. And we're emoting about how stupid they are or how selfish they are or how mean they are, or whatever. Now, when we do that, and you've done it, don't look at me like you're innocent. We've all done this, okay? When we do that, when we just criticize somebody because we're upset and we're emoting all over the place, what's our goal? Is our goal to help them? No. What's our goal? To make ourselves feel better. To let anyone know within earshot or on Facebook that we are morally superior to them. That's not love. So now here's the crucial question. How do we actually know what's in someone's best interests? How do we know? How do we know what God's best for their life is? How do we know that? See, we usually assume we know what is loving based on what feels loving to us. I'll talk more about this next time, Lord willing. We assume it's loving if it feels loving to us. Okay, but what if what's loving doesn't feel loving? Or what if what feels loving isn't loving. I'll give you a quick example. John chapter 4. Jesus engages in conversation near a well, a water well, with a woman across a cultural divide between Jews and Samaritans, different religion, different culture. These two groups don't like each other. And this woman has a massive hole in her heart, spiritually speaking. A massive void in her soul. She keeps trying to fill that hole with men. And she doesn't know. She does not know of God's incredible love for her. Let me state the obvious. Jesus cares about her. He loves her. And everything he's going to say in this encounter 
has her best interests in mind because he wants her to know, he wants her to experience the life-transforming love of God in her life. So she, he starts talking to her about living water that can quench her deepest thirst, her deepest longing. He starts talking about living water, and she says, hey, that sounds good. I'll take some of that. And he says, great. Go get your husband and come back. He says, oh, I don't have a husband. He says, you got that right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Ooh. Wow. Jesus, did you just say that? Did you really say that? That had to sting. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that felt loving to her? I doubt it. Because <laughs> what she does immediately is change the subject. All right, that's an interesting point. Hey, let's talk about where the right place to worship is. Where do you go to church, Jesus? It didn't feel loving, but it was. Why was it loving? Because Jesus knew it was in her best interest. Because he knew she's got an issue. She's got a heart idol. She's got something she loves more than God. She thinks, she's convinced she needs a guy to be okay. And that's a lie. And as long as she believes that lie, she will never trust the love of God. We don't go to Jesus to meet the deepest needs of our lives if we think we can get them met some other way. That's her problem, and Jesus is going to deal with it. So, what is loving doesn't always feel loving, and what feels loving isn't always loving. How do we know, then, what is truly loving? What is truly in someone's best interest? Question number three, what's your standard? What's your standard? You're evaluating compared to what? What's the standard? Now, Paul says something critically important in verse 6, and it's easy to miss. We're not going to miss it. Let's look at it. Verse 6. Paul's talking about them judging him. What they're doing is they're summing up and saying, you know what? Yeah, you don't meet, you don't meet the standard. They're, they're, they're judging his, the ultimate value of his ministry as an apostle. That's not their job. But look what he says. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos. Okay, now Apollos was a co-worker of Paul, another preacher of the gospel. He'd been to Corinth, and the Corinthians loved him. They loved him because he was such a powerful speaker. When he spoke, man, they got goosebumps. They loved this guy. Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. What does he mean by that? Very interesting. Paul uses that expression, it is written, 31 times in his letters, in his writings. Every other time, he connects those words, it is written, with a quotation from Scripture. Every other time. Because when a Jewish person like Paul said, it is written, you remember Jesus said that, 
when Satan was tempting him, and he said, Satan, it is written. And then he quote the Bible. When a Jewish person like Paul, or Jesus, or anybody else said, it is written, it was the equivalent of saying, the scripture says. God's word says. So here, when Paul says, don't go beyond what's written. He means don't go beyond what Scripture teaches. Don't go outside of the guardrails of Scripture. And that's been a major theme from the beginning of this letter. Go back and read chapters 1 through 3. Paul again and again quotes Scripture, and every time he does, it's to make this point. Don't you guys stop relying on human wisdom. You need to rely on God's wisdom. Don't go beyond what's written. So they were evaluating Paul. How are they evaluating him? Oh, let's compare him to Apollos. Let's compare him to some other preacher. And they're deciding, you know, Paul's not that great. He really isn't. And we don't have to take him seriously as an apostle. Why? Because he's not that good of a speaker. Okay. So are they evaluating Paul by the biblical, scriptural qualifications for leader? No. No. Their standard is that of eloquence. Rhetoric. The guy's an amazing speaker, Apollos. But Paul, not so much. That's all they cared about. Does his preaching give me goosebumps? No, then he's no good. He's not a real solid leader. Okay, that's the wrong standard for judging. How do we know it's the wrong standard? Because it's not the standard God gave us. God's standard for evaluating leaders is not their eloquence. It's their character and their faithfulness to the gospel. The Corinthians were going beyond what is written. And they were engaging in DIY, do-it-yourself judging. You decide. You decide for yourself when to judge. You decide for yourself how to judge. You decide for yourself what standard to use. Leaning on your own understanding instead of the standard God has given us his wisdom in his word. We looked at it before, but it's worth looking at again. 1 Corinthians 2, so this is two chapters earlier. Verses 12 and 13, Paul says, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. The spirit taught words of scripture that's our standard so put it all together what does this mean practically speaking what it means is right judging is judging that humbly and accurately represents jesus in other words, we evaluate only when he wants us to do, to do it, and we evaluate in the way that he wants us to do it, motivated by love and getting our standard from him, from Scripture, his standards. 
his motives, his authority. Because you know what? Our thoughts, our feelings, our opinions, our standards, they're not the point. We are simply to represent him. We're representing him. So, quick, some applications as we wrap it up. Three quick applications. Number one, don't take judging lightly. Don't take it lightly. Ask these questions. Slow down and ask the questions. Make sure you get the right answers before you proceed. Number two, do take judging seriously. So judging when Jesus says not to is a problem. So is not judging when Jesus says to. Take it seriously. Number three, be slow to play the judge not card. So you, you hear or know of someone judging, maybe it's you being judged, and the temptation is to whip out that judge not card real quick. We're going to put an end to this right now. Well, wait a minute. What if, what if it's a fellow believer who genuinely cares about what's best for you and is interested in bringing about God's best in your life and they see something and they want to have a conversation with you about it? Now, it could be, it could be that they're totally out of line. It could be that they're motivated in the wrong way and they're not doing it the way Jesus wants to and then, yeah, judge not. Absolutely. But don't play that card if your goal is simply to avoid an unpleasant conversation, an uncomfortable conversation that God actually wants them to have with you. Because we can do that. So next time you're tempted to play that card, ask yourself, why? Will you bow with me and let's pray. So, I just want to give you a quiet moment and give myself a quiet moment to just consider, is there, is there judging I need to repent of? Is there not judging I need to repent of? How would Jesus have me represent him to the people in my life? And if you're here today and you have not yet said yes to Jesus, who just, I want you to hear, he says he has all authority in heaven and earth, and one day we are going to stand before him. And the only answer that's going to work to the question, why should I let you into my heaven, is because you died and rose again for my sin, and I trust you. And today could be the day you begin a relationship with Jesus by asking him to come into your life to forgive your sin, to be the authority in your life. And if you have any questions about that, I'd love to talk to you more afterwards. Right now, let's just take a moment. I'll be quiet. You pray, and then I'll close in just a minute here. Father, you know that for us, this is an uncomfortable topic. Um, we don't like being judged, and we know that there's lots of 
wrong kinds of judgment and we don't want to have a part of that. Sometimes we do it and we need to turn to you and receive your forgiveness and change our ways. And other times we're just reluctant to do it because we don't, we, want, we don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. Lord, will you help us to love people more than we love our own comfort? And will you help us do what truly represents you to this world? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.